All right, thank you, Anderson. I am Chris Cuomo, and welcome to Primetime. We have breaking news on our watch. Both Iran and Russia are actively interfering with our election right now. This comes from the head of our intelligence community just tonight. We would like to alert the public that we have identified that two foreign actors, Iran and Russia, have taken specific actions to influence public opinion relating to our elections. We have already seen Iran sending spoofed emails designed to intimidate voters, incite social unrest, and damage President Trump. Now, we reported last night on those emails from what looked like a Proud Boys account. They were sent to voters in Florida and elsewhere, threatening them to vote for Trump. Officials say those were not from the Proud Boys. The Proud Boys themselves have denied any um, involvement in this. But our officials say they are from Iran. But then the director of national intelligence also said there was an additional motive to hurt Trump. We've seen no evidence of that and none was offered. The House Homeland Security Committee tweeted this in response. Do not listen to Ratcliffe, partisan hack and followed up to say that Americans should listen to the FBI director instead. Now, about the emails we have seen, our government says, again, Iran is behind messages like this. I say it twice because a lot of you are getting them. And yes, they are threatening, whether you're in Florida or Alaska or wherever they're going now, uh, it is not from the Proud Boys, according to Iran, all right? Now, you will see threats in these emails if you don't vote for Trump. We have your information. We know where you live. We will come after you. A lot of people who are getting these have already voted, but still very scary to receive one, I'm sure. The choice to use the Proud Boys is also relevant. It is proof that the president's influence at home and abroad is real because he talked this group up and he made them a target of opportunity for our enemies. Remember his message to the hateful Proud Boys of stand back and stand by at the last debate. Now we know at least one foreign actor was listening. These foreign efforts are expected, by the way. We saw them in 2016, we see them all the time. What's not expected is for their goal to be given a boost by our president. No word from him about these findings tonight and the timing of these findings, also very interesting. They come as President Obama hit the trail today for Joe Biden, and he gave the most forceful case against Trump that we've heard in this campaign. We have all the high points and analysis of what former President Obama said, uh, but we have to see just how big a shadow he will cast over Trump's fate in this election. Certainly, Obama seemed more concerned about our national security from events like this tonight before the revelations than Trump has even after them. So let's discuss the threat level involved in what we learned tonight in this breaking news and what can be done about it. Let's bring in Andrew McCabe and James Clapper. Gentlemen, thank you very much. So we heard from the DNI and the FBI. They said Iran and Russia got their hands on voter information. Andrew, what does that mean, uh, voter information? How invasive do we believe this can be? What can they do with this kind of information? 
Well, that's a that's a really good question, Chris. It's uh, it's not clear from the statements we got at the press conference tonight exactly how the Iranians or the Russians access voter information. There is some voter information that's pretty easily acquired online. That's very different from actually probing the voter registration uh, databases of individual states and and staging a cyber intrusion into those systems and stealing information. That's the sort of activity that we saw back in 2016. We know the Russians probed Mm. the voter registration databases of every state. Um, If that's what's happening here, and again, it's not clear that that's that's not how they described it, um, altering voter registration information can be a very serious threat because you could essentially eliminate many people from the voter rolls, and then when they show up on election day, they don't get to cast a vote. Um, But the the statement was pretty vague, just simply said that they had acquired voter information. Uh, Jim, first of all, great to see you. Uh, uh, Thank you for being on the show tonight. And the idea of what Andrew is talking about, that this was a little vague, does that mean they're still developing an understanding of this situation? Or is this about also how much you tell the American public about the risk? Well, Unfortunately, uh, Chris, uh, you know, you have to wonder about what what were the ulterior motives at work here? Why uh, a sudden uh, press conference, which, uh, you know, evidenced itself on the heels of uh, President Obama's uh, pretty uh, stark speech. So good. I'm uh, glad you said it, Jim, because I didn't want to seem cynical about it. But the timing is a little curious, right? Uh, They've known about these emails. They could have told us about this. Uh, They could have fleshed more of it out so that it wasn't so vague about what they were able to pass on. And yet it came tonight. It's interesting, Jim, that you see that as a little suspicious as well. Well, I do. uh, Just given, uh, you know, the the, the track record of of DNI Ratcliffe, where he's, uh, you know, used intelligence for political purposes. So Mm -hmm. unfortunately, I hate to say it, but, you know, you you have to uh, address what he says with some skepticism and just to... uh, Add on to uh, what Andy said about what happened in 2016. Uh, the Russians, we saw, reconnoitered, I'll, I'll put it that way, uh, voter registration rolls, which weren't all that hard to penetrate. We saw, I think, well, some 39 states, and they probably did it with all 50. So they know how to do it. And we, I remember uh, our speculating about what the purpose was, you know, for some future use. Uh, so I did, just a historical note here. Um, the other thing about the statement that the DNI made was that you just mentioned Russia and then went on to Iran. Well, Russia has been interfering in, in the run-up to the election mm-hmm. all along, so that's, that's not a uh, startling revelation. Uh, and he didn't amplify that. And I would continue to uh, believe that Russia poses far more of a threat, and I, see, I think we're going to see more of this. And as to the uh, ascription that this somehow hurts President Trump, well, I, I can make a case that it helps him. Well, certainly so, the uh, Proud Boys stuff helps him because it's scaring people who obviously were sent messages because they didn't vote for him. What I found a little unusual, I'll bounce it back to Andy and then obviously, Jim, uh, whatever you want to add, please. Um, we have the emails. I reported on them last night um, with one of our reporters about what we had learned so far. No proof offered of the intentions to hurt Trump. Why not? You, you know that this is going to be something where people are only going to want to know what you can show. You showed the emails. Why didn't you show what supposedly was being put out there that was bad for Trump? They had to know if you don't put out any proof, it smacks of politics. 
It really does. And I'll tell you from my own experience, having been through the process with uh, Director Clapper in 2016, the intelligence community doesn't come out with an official analytical judgment along the lines of, you know, the Iranians were trying to hurt President Trump without rock solid evidence to prove that. And we got none of that evidence tonight from uh, from DNI Radcliffe, who has proven himself to be uh, a, a overtly political uh, influence on the intelligence process with the things that he's been, you know, uh, involved in over the last couple of weeks, releasing intelligence for political purposes. So it's it's hard to imagine how the two instances he cited in his comments actually hurt President Trump. The Proud Boys uh, issue that you mentioned, and also he said that um, there was indications that uh, Iran had a video that implied that people could cast fraudulent ballots from overseas. That also supports a main line of President Trump's argument that the mm-hmm. election could be replete with fraud. So. I am not buying it at this point. I think we should all kind of have a, a skeptical uh, eye at that until we see some proof. Right. And also, look, you guys uh, are a blessing tonight because you represent the two schools that were out there uh, tonight, the two different institutions. And uh, Jim, not only did they not offer any proof, but there are two other suggestions. One, Ray did not echo. The head of the FBI did not echo what Ratcliffe said. Um, he did not talk about the threat uh, posed by Iran. And he doubled down because he'd said this before on don't believe Internet reports about votes not counting or the election being messed with. Now, here's the weird part about that. We don't need Iran or Russia to plant that idea in our head. The president bangs on it all the time. What's more menacing to people's state of mind than their own leader telling them that it's fraudulent? Yeah, that's un- that's the unfortunate. Th- another unfortunate dimension of this is that the uh, unfortunately, these foreign narratives uh, uh, agree with the president and vice versa. That, that's that's really unfortunate. But you know, the bigger point here, Chris, to me, is that it would really be nice if we could just take at face value when the director of national intelligence and the director of FBI come out at a special, uh, uh, quickly called press conference, and it would be so nice if we could just accept what they said at face value and not spend all this time parsing and trying to analyze what's really going on. Mm. And that, to me, is a sad commentary. And then some more sad commentary. The Washington Post has reporting, Andy, that the president is increasingly upset with Christopher Wray and thinking about replacing him uh, as the head of the FBI. This can't help uh, because I'm sure he didn't like that he wasn't in line with the DNI tonight. Um, And he doesn't probably, again, this is just crazy world that we're living in. But yes, these words are about to come out of my mouth. The president of the United States probably didn't like the head of the FBI saying not to worry about our election being fraudulent. Your votes will count. Uh, That is a bizarro world, but that is Trump's disposition. He wants people not to trust the count. What does that mean if he were to get rid of Ray over something like this? You don't think he'd do it before the election? Well, I think it's unlikely he'll do it before the election. But, um, you know, it's really anything is possible with this president at any moment. What do we know about this president? We know that he really doesn't like it when the people who work for him say things that he disagrees with or things that he finds to be uncomfortable. Chris Ray went on national television in this press conference and made statements that directly contradict the president's false narrative about fraud in uh, voting fraud and electoral fraud. 
that is not going to be taken well by this president. I can tell you from personal experience, he does not like it when people uh, don't toe the political line that he prefers. Um, so even if the election doesn't go his way, uh, it is possible that he comes in after the election and and removes the director simply out of spite. Hey, Jim, last question, and I'll let you guys go. Thank you so much on such a busy night. Do you think it makes it more or less likely that the president has been outspoken about wanting the attorney general to investigate Biden even after uh, the DOJ passed on uh, its latest investigation in terms of bringing any charges about unmasking and that him saying he wants Director Ray at the FBI to investigate Biden. Do you think that actually makes it less likely that it happens because it would look so overtly political? Well, it, exactly. And, and it seems to me it's sort of counter from the president's perspective, it's sort of counterproductive uh, for his purposes to say things like that, which which I don't, I, you know, I just don't think are going to happen. In fact, the attorney general said so. So I, I don't I don't understand. Uh, well, like so many things. I don't understand about the president, uh, why he's doing that, that uh, how, and how that helps his cause. How could you have ever believed we would be having a conversation on national television about foreign adversaries doing things to interfere in the election that are less damaging than what our own president has been saying about our election process? That's where we yeah, are, gentlemen. But thank you for making sense of it for the, uh, the audience tonight. I appreciate it. Andrew McCabe, James Clapper, uh, the best to both families. God bless. All right. All right. So Joe Biden has a not secret at all weapon who hit the hustings today with righteous fury for the country. Former President Barack Obama. He hadn't been there a lot. He wasn't there early on. But boy, did he make his presence felt today. He said things not just about this president, but about this country in a way that we have never seen. What will this mean? for the outcome of this election. We haven't seen a bigger influence on Biden's fate as we saw tonight, and maybe the president's as well. Two of our sharpest minds will take us through what we saw today, all the highlights for you, and the implications. Next. There are so many people around the country who are desperate for something to sway them in what is absolutely a binary choice. This country is going to move in one of two very different directions after this election. And for those who are open, boy, did they get a powerful solicitation tonight. Former President Obama unplugged and unloading on Trump and the status quo. He hasn't shown any interest in doing the work or helping anybody but himself and his friends, or treating the presidency like a reality show that he can use to get attention. And by the way, even then, his TV ratings are, are down. So you know that upsets him. We know that he continues to do business with China because he's got a secret Chinese bank account. How is that possible? How is that possible? A secret Chinese bank account. Listen, can you imagine if I had had a secret Chinese bank account when I was running for re-election? You think, you, think you think Fox News might have been a little concerned about that? They would have called me Beijing Barry. <laughs> and he was just getting warmed up. 
You got to hear what he said about the president's character uh, and the pandemic, two very, very big issues for a lot of voters. Um, but look, he's not running, right? I'm sure a lot of Democrats would be more happy uh, if he were. But Biden, Obama's case was, is the closest thing to him that you have, certainly in this election. Biden's going to have to deliver the knockout. I know they say he's getting ready for the debate and it's a big night for him tomorrow night, but eventually he's going to have to make his own luck here. Uh, he's either going to have to win people over or get put on the mat himself. And a big part of it is going to happen tomorrow night. Why? Come on. You don't have to be an analyst for this. It's the last best hope for both Biden and Trump to make an impact on you versus the other. But remember the real enemy, especially for this president, is the pandemic. Will he be able to hide from it? Everybody thinks it's going to be about Biden and his son. I think it's just as likely to be about this president and the pandemic. Dana Bash, Tim O'Brien here tonight. Thank you very much. A lot of news breaking all over us. Uh, Dana, fair assessment that this was a different Obama than we've seen post-presidency? Absolutely. This is a different uh, former president than I think any that we've seen, certainly in modern times. Uh, this is, is breaks the former president code. And this is a former president who clearly does not do that lightly. I mean, all of our reporting and everything that we've seen and heard from him up until I think the convention, but certainly until today, was that he didn't want to, um, you know, to, to wade into the, into the political pool uh, too often, even though he felt that his successor posed, poses an existential threat uh, to democracy. I mean, there's nothing short of that. But now it's different. Now it's time for him to make that argument, to get out there. It's time to get people to vote. So it was a complete combination of getting people fired up, to use his term, uh, to convince members uh, of the Democratic base who just aren't sure. I mean, he articulated this. Am I going to make a difference? Yes, you are. Um, do I really think this is the guy? This is the guy? Yes, he is. And then just a total takedown, as you played, mm. of President Trump in a way that I, I, I don't think that we ever expected in our lifetime we would see and hear from a former president about his successor. Well, let's be honest. It's necessary uh, for Joe that, Biden. Yeah, I mean, I'm, um, not, I'm, I'm not saying that it was, a, it was a bad thing making judgment on that. I think it's a sign of the times. Yeah, exactly I, right. certainly a sign of the state of play. So, <laughs> so Tim, he hit him with a one-two punch uh, today in very simple fighting parlance. He hit him on the man. And then he hit him on his main mission, which is the pandemic. First, let me play what he said about Trump, the man. Why are folks making excuses for that? Oh, well, that's just, that's just him. No, it's, no. There are consequences to these actions. They embolden other people to be cruel and divisive and racist. And it frays the fabric of our society. And it affects how our children see things. And it affects the ways that our families get along. It affects how the world looks at America. That behavior matters. Character matters. I'll tell you what, systemic inequality, racism is not new. 
But having people run around the streets the way they are right now in righteous indignation because of what this president does on both sides is certainly a fomenting that we never saw under any past president since the 60s. What is the relevance of this kind of attack from Obama about Trump, Tim? Well, I, I am, I, you know, I imagine that Barack Obama has been sitting on, on these thoughts and emotions for quite some time. Let's think back to the dignity and grace Obama displayed um, during the transition after um, Trump was elected uh, and on Inauguration Day. Um, uh, he didn't go anywhere remotely close to where he went today. And in the span of time since then, you've had Donald Trump in the Oval, Oval Office uh, openly uh, embracing financial conflicts of interest, undermining a number of U.S. institutions, uh, smearing our reputation abroad and 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 flagrantly um, embracing racism and bigotry. Uh, I, I am I, I have to suspect that this is almost therapeutic for Barack Obama to finally be able to speak about what's on his mind, that Donald Trump lacks the character, integrity and composure to sit in the Oval Office. And you can say anything you want about um ideological differences with Barack Obama, partisan differences with Barack Obama. Um, he is an immensely sophisticated and dignified man and couldn't be more of a polar opposite from Trump. And I think that's an important highlight, right? and contrast right now for American voters. I think he gave us a little bit of a window into what Biden's going to bring tomorrow night as his main yes. missile against the president. It's going to be the pandemic. I, I still believe the big opposition for Trump is not Biden. It's the pandemic. Here's what Obama mm -hmm. said about the response. Look, I get that this president wants full credit for the economy he inherited and zero blame for the pandemic that he ignored. But you know what? The job doesn't work that way. Tweeting at the television doesn't fix things. Making stuff up doesn't make people's lives better. You've got to have a plan. You've got to put in the work. And along with the experience to get things done, Joe Biden has concrete plans and policies that will turn our vision of a better, fairer, stronger country into a reality. We literally left this White House a pandemic playbook that would have shown them how to respond before the virus reached our shores. They probably used it to, I don't know, prop up a wobbly table somewhere. We don't know where that playbook went. So Trump's going to come long and strong on Hunter Biden tomorrow night. We know it. Mm. And I don't know how Biden will deal with the irony that Trump wants to talk about, uh, you know, sons and how money is made and what is abusive. Uh, but I don't know that Biden is better served by going head to head about family and fiduciary responsibility or just keep going back to the pandemic. What do you think, Dana? You know, from from all of my reporting, uh, the former vice president has been extremely reluctant to do an eye for an eye, meaning, oh, yeah, you're going to talk about my kids. Let's talk about your kids who are working in the White House. And, you know, it could go on from there. Uh, having said that, you know, I think President Obama did give us a little bit of a window into one potential line of attack or a retort, uh, which is the, the story that we've seen this week about the allegations that President Obama has money in a Chinese bank account and paid taxes in China. I mean, the fact that 
Obama brought that up is certainly a signal that his uh, former number two is going to do that as well uh, and is going to try to mm. pivot as much as possible every time uh, Trump brings up uh, brings up his, his, his son's name. Unclear if he can do that. I mean, he was supposed to try to ignore the attacks on his son right. uh, the, the first debate, and he couldn't do it. One other thing I would want to tell you, because right before coming on, I got, uh, we, we all probably got on our email, a advisory from the Biden campaign. Uh, President Obama is going to do another event on Saturday in Florida. Mm. So he's going, he's kind of hopscotching to the key puzzle pieces uh, that the Biden campaign have out there on their, you know, uh, on their map where they need to win. Trump needs to win Florida. He probably needs to win uh, Pennsylvania if he's going to if he's going to defeat Donald Trump. Yeah, I think I think Pennsylvania is the state to watch. I'm out of time. Thank you very much, Dana. Tim O'Brien, as always, appreciate you being here on short notice. Uh, I'll see you both really soon. <laughs> Another important story tonight. That's why I got to keep it moving tonight. Coronavirus. The CDC uh, just gave, gave out new information, refining the risk of what kind of contact matters, okay? Uh, especially with somebody who's positive. Now, this has been changing over time, and it's going to change once again. And I think it's important for us to kind of consider what they're telling us now and how it'll work in everyday life. The chief doctor is here, Sanjay Gupta. Uh, we're going to have to change our habits. Let's talk about it next. Cases are up more than the experts expected at this point in the fall and in more places. Hospitalization, hospitalization rates are on the rise, and that's a lagging indicator. So that means by the time we find that out, we know we have trouble. Now comes new information regarding how COVID-19 is being transmitted. The CDC's new guidelines redefine close contact with an infected person. So what does that mean, close contact with an infected person? It now includes multiple brief exposures that add up to 15 minutes instead of only continuous contact for a long time. Let's bring in Chief Dr. Sanjay Gupta uh, for more on this guidance. Now, first it was don't touch things, you can get it. We moved past that. This isn't so much a touch thing, it's aerosolized. And then it was, but you have to be around a person for a long time. And we had this scenario of I'd rather give someone a hug and walk on than talk to somebody in close setting for several minutes. Mm -hmm. Now they're saying that period of about 15 minutes is relevant, but you can get to it episodically and not just in one uh, contact. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's basically it, Chris. And, um, you know, in some ways, it's always been a bit arbitrary, I think, as you're sort of alluding to, right? I mean, if you have a 15-minute contact, what if the person sneezes? In the, in, in the middle of that after a minute. Uh, does that change the thing? What if you're five feet away instead of six feet away? It always felt a bit arbitrary. And I think that, that this, this guidance now is sort of reflecting that. I'll just show you quick. You just sort of talked about it, Chris, but I'll just show people uh, again what was close contact within six feet uh, for, for at least 15 minutes. Now, cumulative total of 15 minutes or more over a 24 hour period. So it kind of better reflects, I think, um, what we've been told, which is that you should wear a mask. This, this is really about masks, ultimately. This whole guidance is about masks, basically saying, wear a mask. Even if you think you're going to be around somebody for just a few minutes, wear a mask. All right. And look, 
Um, we know that masks have been politicized and we know that people, you know, are, are very happy about that, especially on the right. But it's about fatigue as much as it's about masks now. Right, Sanjay? I mean, people have had it. The president's right about that. And we're coming up on the holidays and people are not going to want to be wearing masks. And they're going to say, look, I know all these people. Nobody here has been sick. I'm going to be okay. And we'll keep it smart while we're together. And more and more, the clusters aren't community spread of massive uh, populations. They're little micro clusters of exactly what we all do on the holidays. So how big a deal is this changing guidance now? Well, I, you know, I think it's a pretty big deal, Chris. And this isn't easy. I mean, I've been going through this with my own family, you know, trying to figure out the holidays. Maybe you have as well. Um, the issue is this. I mean, if, you're, if it's your own family cluster that you've been with the whole time, obviously that's not the concern because you've been with folks within your own family living in the same household for, for months now. If you start to bring in other people, uh, parents, perhaps vulnerable, my parents are in their late 70s, um, th I think that that's, that's going to be a concern. It's, it's going to be very hard, certainly, to maintain distance. It's going to be hard to uh, be outside because it's cold. I think, you know, if you're doing dinner, you can't obviously mask. So it's, it's, it's a challenging proposition. People have asked me, what is the best way to do it? I absolutely want to meet with my family over the holidays. How could I possibly do it? Um, first of all, I tell them that I'm not, having gone through the iterations myself, but if you wanted to do it, you'd probably want to get tested, then go into essentially a quarantine for 14 days, possibly get tested again after that. At the point where you visit, you want to be wearing masks as much as possible, be outside as much as possible, open windows to increase ventilation, and try and keep distance. Doesn't sound like a very fun holiday is my point, and there's a lot of hurdles to jump through. Chris, I mean, you know, this year is going to be tough. I, I think this year's a wash. Next year, Thanksgiving, I mean, I hope I can, you know, spend it with my family and you can spend it with yours. I think it's just going to be tough this year and it won't feel like a very good holiday having gone through all those hoops. Well, look, they changed it for a reason. Uh, they're changing it right before the holidays. Just take it into consideration. It's not just one piece of contact. Little contacts can add up. It's just more, one more reason for us to fight the fatigue if we want to get better. Dr. Sanjay Gupta, yeah. thank you very much. None of this is easy. Nobody's yeah, saying it is. Trump and Biden aren't the only ones focused on the last 13 days of this election. McConnell, Pelosi, Schumer, McCarthy, they're all wondering if we're about to see a massive shakeup in the control of Congress. What's the chance? The Wizard of Odds has been looking at the down-ballot races, where they matter and why they matter. He's got his special data goggles on. Next. So, former VP Joe Biden is up an, an average of 11 percentage points in CNN's latest poll of polls. You know what that is, the major polls taking the average of all of them. Now, some will question that, especially seeing how the popular vote doesn't win the election. I'm with you. I say we may appreciate the state of play in the presidential election better by looking down ballot, meaning looking at the battles in different states on the congressional level. What's going on in different areas and why? Can Democrats keep and grow their majority in the House? What are their chances of flipping the Senate? The more seats flip, the more we get a suggestion of the electorate in the presidential race as well. So to go through them, the wizard of odds, Harry Enten with his newest forecast. It's good to see you, brother. Let's start with the Senate. Uh, the Democrats need a net gain of three unless Trump is reelected and then they need four. What do you see? 
Sure. So essentially, look, these are the polling averages. And essentially, as you said, the Democrats need a net gain of three. And if you look at the Republican pickups, we're going to give the Republicans Alabama. So essentially, they're going to need at least four of the seats on the left side of your screen. And look at that. They are leading in five, in fact, five Republican held seats right now, Arizona, Colorado, Iowa, Maine and North Carolina. But it's a race within the margin of error because you can see Iowa and North Carolina specifically are close. They're two and three point races. The question is, why are Democrats in this position to pick up the majority? And I think you see it really well when you look at those five pickup opportunities and look at the presidential race in those states. And what you see in those states at this particular point is, look here, look, in all the states where the Democrats are leading right now, their pickup opportunities, Joe Biden is also leading. And the differences across those seats tend to be rather small. So to me, it's a pretty clear sign that President Trump is dragging down Republican senators with him. Hmm. Um, all right. So if we take a look, so we see that that kind of echoes what we see in the main race. Fine. Um, now, House races. Uh, Republicans, 197 House seats. They need 218 to win control. How are the Republicans looking at moving that House? Yeah, it ain't going to happen. I mean, if the Senate race is within the margin of error, and you may even argue that the presidential race is still within some version of the margin of error, on the House side, I'm just not seeing it, right? The 2018 outcome was Democrats had 235. That's obviously dropped with some vacancies. But take a look at the forecast for, two, for, for this year, and you can see Democrats are, in fact, favored to win 240 seats. So if anything, if we're looking at come November 3rd, I'm expecting that Democrats will, in fact, increase their majority in the House of Representatives. You kind of slipped one past me there. But uh, when you said that on the Senate side, it could be that Trump is pulling them down because you see an echo effect between his numbers and states and theirs. Flesh that out a little bit uh, better for us with this Trump connection slide number four. Yeah. So look here, this is the House of Representatives. And I think, you know, these are three districts that Trump won in 2016. They flipped from a GOP representative to Democratic in 2018, although NJO2, uh, that race, uh, excuse me, the incumbent there has actually flipped. Jeff Andrew has become a Republican now. But take a look here. Look at the poll, the 20, 2020 House poll on the left side. And then you can see the 2020 press polling. And what do you see? You see the Democratic candidate in all those races are leading. And Joe Biden is leading in those same polls. And here's the key nugget here. These are, remember, districts that Trump won in 2016. So what we see here again is Biden's flipping these districts in the polls. And in doing so, it seems that the Democratic House members are holding on to their leads. Do you see any disconnect? Do you see any place that Republicans are doing well, but Trump isn't or vice versa? Biden, um, you know, not doing well, but the Democrats doing well. Yeah, I think it's really important to point out that what we've seen historically in the last few election cycles is that there's an increasing correlation between the results on the top of the ballot and then the results, you know, further down on the ballot, both in the House and Senate levels. What I will say is there are perhaps a few Republicans who might have household names, specifically in Pennsylvania. One, uh, Fitzpatrick seems to be holding on. That's a district that Hillary Clinton did well in in 2016, and Joe Biden's probably going to win by double digits. But to be honest, those examples are few and far between. If anything, there are more Democrats who seem to be holding on to their seats, despite Trump being popular in those districts, than Republicans holding on to their seats, even as Joe Biden is leading in those particular districts. Let me pull you away from the numbers one step and see if your power of perspective holds. Um, former President Barack Obama was atypically aggressive today with what he was saying about President Trump. I've never heard him talk about this president. In fact, I've never heard any former president talk about a current president the way he did today. Impact. 
I mean, look, Barack Obama is a very popular figure still, and he's a particularly popular figure among African-Americans. And obviously, Joe Biden wants African-American support as close to the levels as Barack Obama had in 2012. And more than that, wants the turnout in places like Philadelphia, Milwaukee and Detroit, those three key swing states in the Great Lakes that we know if Joe Biden wins those states, it's going to be awfully difficult for President Trump to win re-election. So will there be an impact? I don't know, but it certainly doesn't hurt when you have someone as popular as Barack Obama campaigning for you. What does the past show us about the president, the former president's ability to sway African-American or black men as voters? Yeah, I, look, I, I tend to think endorsements don't really matter that much, but you're hitting the, the nail right on the head. And that is, if you look at the polling, you see that African-American men in particular are not as strongly associated with the Joe Biden brand as they were with the Barack Obama uh, brand. And if there's one weakness in Joe Biden's armor right now, it's voters of color, particularly young African-American men who seem to be going more into Donald Trump's corner than they were four years ago. At this point, it won't make a major difference because Biden's so far ahead. But if the election gets closer, and it very well could, those types of small differences could make a major impact. How big a deal is the Hunter Biden stuff? I don't think it's a particularly big impact, to be perfectly honest with you. Voters care more about the food on their table than the problems that Hunter Biden has. Hmm. How about debates? Debates? Look, after that first debate, what did you see? You saw that Joe Biden's lead went up by a few points. Uh, if this final debate, you know, Donald Trump needs a strong performance. There's no doubt about that, because if there isn't a game changer, then Donald Trump is looking at a big deficit heading into the final couple of weeks here. And the fact is, as you see it up on your screen right now, that 11 point lead, if it's anything close to that on Election Day, even if you have a polling miss the same size as you had in 2016, it's not going to be enough for Trump to win. He needs to close the deficit. And then we'll have a conversation that President Trump has a real shot of winning, not just a theoretical one. Tomorrow night has a, a change to how it works. That is a dream of yours, a mute button, so that when you speak, I'm not able to. Uh, we'll see how that plays out on the debate stage. Always a pleasure, Wiz. Harry Enton, thank you. Be well, brother. We'll thank be you, right sir. back. Something happened today in Philadelphia. Former President Barack Obama, I think the headline should be Obama Strikes Back. The president, President Trump, has been having his way with Obama, twisting his legacy and almost compulsively oriented towards negating everything Obama does. Now it seems very clear that the former president has been listening. And he came out today guns blasting for Trump. He attacked his character. He called out the fact that he'd failed at the pandemic and is looking to distract from that failure. And he also pressed the urgency of this moment. Listen to this. What we do these next 13 days will matter for decades to come. Now, last time I was in Philadelphia, I was at the Constitution Center. And I was delivering a speech for the Democratic National Convention this year. And I said during that speech, I've sat in the Oval Office with both of the men who are running for president. And they are very different people. I explained that I never thought Donald Trump would embrace my vision or continue my policies. But I did hope, for the sake of the country, that he might show some interest in taking the job seriously. But it hasn't happened. 
He hasn't shown any interest in doing the work or helping anybody but himself and his friends or treating the presidency like a reality show that he can use to get attention. And by the way, even then, his TV ratings are, are down. So you know that upsets him. But the thing is, this is not a reality show. This is reality. And the rest of us have had to live with the consequences of him proving himself incapable of taking the job seriously. So he went at the man, but he also went at this moment. Listen to this. Our democracy is not going to work if the people who are supposed to be our leaders lie every day and just make things up. I mean, and we've just become numb to it. We just become immune to it every single day. Fact checkers can't keep up. And, and, and look, this, this notion of truthfulness and democracy and, and citizenship and, and being re responsible, these aren't Republican or Democratic principles, they're American principles. They're what, we're, they're what we, most of us grew up learning from our parents and our grandparents. They're, they're not white or black or Latino or Asian values, they're American values, human values. And we need to reclaim them. We have to get those values back at the center of our public life. And we can, but but to do it, we've got to turn out like never before. He talked so long, it got dark. <laughs> no, seriously. He really went through a mission statement and a referendum on this presidency, the likes I have never heard from a former president. Now, what impact will it have? How does it help Biden? How does it help turnout? Does it hurt Trump? Compelling questions. Let's bring in a compelling figure, D. Lemon. He's about to take over anyway. Um, Preach, brother. I felt like I was in church with the ladies shouting on Sunday. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I had a friend who texted me who said, Obama was an assassin. Did you watch that speech? I just I think people were sitting at home going, it is about time. That's what I think. Which people, though? Because you don't expect Trump supporters to say, I forgot how much I love that Obama. No. Most of the people who voted for Trump no. probably did so in reaction formation to Obama. It was like balm on a womb, salve, salve on a womb, right? Um, that because you don't hear that from a former president. This is unprecedented. Mm -hmm. You know, there is that sort of bro code, so to speak, between presidents where you don't really talk about it. And this president did. And what he said, every single word he said was the truth. So I don't think anyone is persuadable at this point. There are very few people who are persuadable. And if you are undecided right now, I, I, you know, listen, I got to, I don't know. It's not even the twilight zone. You're, I don't know where you're living, but I think most people are decided. But what it will serve to do is make Democrats, I think people who, the Democrats who usually wet the bed, make them feel better about the election, right? Uh, it may galvanize actually some, some Trump supporters. But I think in, in Philadelphia, in Pennsylvania, 
where there are, where that it's a swing state and some independent-minded voters. It may help some of those independent-minded voters and it may help the turnout, which is what Democrats Black really voters? need. Oh yeah. Black male voters? I do. I think so. Listen, we, we, we talk about, you know, the, the fringe black male vote, right, for Donald Trump. And let's see how many people actually show up at the polls, because I don't really know any black men who are going to vote for Donald Trump, except for um, people who have a ton of money in the bank. And maybe they're looking at some taxes and they have they think here's what they think. Um, unlike black women who are the most educated, right, of the voting bloc who know what it's like to be in a boardroom or in a business meeting and have and be mansplained when your idea is better and you're smarter than the man in the room. I think what these black men think is that, well, if I just get the money and I just get the capital, therefore I will be equal and I will be treated equally. They're in for a rude awakening because it doesn't work that way. That's not exactly how it works. And women know that, especially black women, they know that. So I think these, got, th these men, honestly, are being bamboozled. They're being played um, by the Trump folks. But yeah, I actually do think it's going to sway some black, motivate some black, not sway them, but motivate some black men to get to the polls. Listen, President Obama is very popular among all demographics, right, except for, you know, the, the, the folks who, who hate him because they're, they're strong Trump supporters. But the, the women who we call the church hat ladies, my mom, my aunts, my sisters, my young nieces. Yeah. And if it's not for Barack Obama, it's certainly Michelle Obama. Trust. And do you think that the poll for Biden uh, with those who love Obama is stronger than it was for Clinton? Oh, yeah. The poll for Biden, this is not 2016 anymore. I mean, just look at the likability. Remember we were doing, remember back during the 16 election, we were saying, these are the two most unlike candidates in, in history of the, you know, modern history. And it was true. Their, their unfavorability rating was very high. Their favorability ratings were, were very low. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think, Joe Biden is not Hillary Clinton. Joe Biden is pretty much universally liked. Joe Biden is like a warm sweater. And I know that, you know, Republicans or uh, the Trump supporters will say, oh, you know, it's Mr. Rogers. And they make fun of him on SNL. But that's what many Americans want at this point, yeah. given all the history. Well, since when does Mr. Chaos. Rogers a bad thing? And Mr. Rogers was a great <laughs> dude. I love watching Mr. Rogers. <laughs> and we so have gotten the rest so buck nasty. You know, who would have ever thought that on a night where the big breaking news, that I know that you're taking on tonight, that Iran is behind those emails from the Proud Boys trying to scare voters, that oh. Iran's efforts and Russia's efforts would not be as powerful as those of our own president to shake confidence in okay, our Okay, so let me say this. Um, in these times, I think that we have to approach the news and information like that with more skepticism than ever. That doesn't mean it's not true. But I just think that in anything that happens, who was it? Was it you or someone? We were someone who is a, a very politically minded person said, when, if there's new information uh, or, or some sort of scandal that happens in the last two weeks of, of, of an election, you need to be skeptical of it because you don't know what's behind it. So I'm very skeptical of this information. I'm not saying that it's not true, but I also think it should be maybe Christopher Ray's hand could have been forced. Who knows? Maybe Ratcliffe. Well, I think Ratcliffe was the one who said that they're Ratcliffe. out to hurt Trump also. And it just happened to be the same night that Obama is going to dominate coverage. There, so there you go. And so I think that I'll could say be, it for you, Don. No, that could be happening here. And so I just think, listen, to think that 
someone can get someone's address and phone number and send them a letter or an email, it's not that hard to do. You don't need no, some No, but it's sort of, scary getting you, that kind of message. It from is a group scary. Like I would imagine Boys. it's scary. I, mean, I would imagine it's scary for some of the folks at home. Most of the people at home would look at that and say, really? Okay, I know that's BS. I would laugh at it. I wouldn't think it's real. Someone is going to tell me that I must vote for somebody else? Come on. Really? No. Not going to do that. That's the same people who, who email you and say, give me your social security number. I have some money to mail you back. It's not, it's not going to happen. I still haven't gotten the money. Yeah. Well, there you go. Because it's not real. Oh. So, uh, to th- and to think that how over the last four years, what have we been talking about? That the Russians, that the Chinese, that the, the Iran, that there's going to be election interference. They're doing it now. What is the big revelation? That the president's doing it worse. Yeah. That's the revelation. You got a big show, bud. I'll be watching. I'll see you. Feed Lemon. I love you. (laughs) We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number smart beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.